Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Nice to see you all here. I think maybe the two o'clock crowd is the smart crowd. Is that what we're looking at here? This is the crowd. Did you, what, did you sleep in a little bit? What did you do? You take it easy this morning and just like, have, did you get up early and make some cinnamon rolls or like forget that? You just, what? Yeah, no. All right, it's good. Donuts. That's interesting. I'm going to talk about donuts in just a second. Speaking of, uh, speaking of Christmas, if you're a youngster here or a kid, and, or a kid at heart, I guess, and you got one of these angels, I want to let you know that uh, we're going to be utilizing these in a few minutes. You can kind of see we've got some that are up already, but if you're a kid that's in the service today, uh, you'll notice on the card here it says, draw something awesome. And uh, you'll, on mine, I drew a donut. So there's that. There's, I, when I was filling this out this morning, I was thinking, why did I have Cinnamon Life? I should have had a donut. And so, kids, if you're here, make sure you draw something awesome. That can be anything. It can be uh, something, a toy. It can be a, just whatever. Something awesome. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. Make sure you put your name on it, too. We'd love to have your name on that. And uh, we'll get back to that in a second. Well, we're in the midst of and finishing up a short Christmas series we've been in for the last three weeks. This is the fourth week in the series called Unto Us. And the idea with the Unto Us series was to sort of wrap our minds around the idea that in the incarnation, Jesus comes to all men and women, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter how even we respond to his coming, that still God comes unto us. You know, there are all kinds of ways in which men and women in the world today are divided, all kinds of divisions that we put into place. But no matter who you are, where you come from, where you've been, where you're headed, no matter even what you think of Jesus, the reality is that he came because of his great love for you. We talked in our first week in the series about the fact that there were some who were anticipating the coming of Christ. We looked at the story of Simeon, who was a man who'd been praying that he would have the opportunity to see the Messiah, and God had promised him that he would, and then as an old man, he holds the baby in his arms and says, now I can die. I'm happy. This is what I wanted. He was anticipating the coming of Jesus. The following week, uh, we talked about those who were distracted, and that even though light had come into the world, as it says in John, there were those who did not recognize it, didn't see him, that Christ came to his own and they did not receive him because they were distracted by all kinds of other things. And that for some of us, we're distracted even from the true heart of what Christmas is all about. We talked last week about those who were inconvenienced by Christmas. And we looked specifically at the story of King Herod. King Herod, who was threatened by the arrival of the true king of the Jews, nervous that he would uh, lose his money and his position, his power, the reputation that he had. And so he tried to snuff out the light that was in Christ. He tried to have the Lord Jesus killed because the arrival of the Messiah was a threat to him, an inconvenience to him. And this week, we're talking about those who were awed, those who were awed at Christmas. And we look specifically at the story of the shepherds, which is an amazing story. I think when we look at Luke 2, there is a danger for us to kind of look at it with, uh, with calloused eyes. And what I mean by that is that if you've grown up anywhere around the church or if you've grown up anywhere around the Christmas story, the likelihood is you've heard Luke 2 before. In fact, you may have come to the service today sort of expecting that we were gonna read out of Luke 2 and you've heard it already and you know the whole thing and you could quote it yourself. The danger with that sometimes when we become too familiar with the text is that sometimes we miss the real truth that's sitting on the page because we have our sort of our preconceived idea of what it says. In the few minutes that we have together this morning as we study God's word, as we talk about the awesome nature of the Christmas story, I'd love for you just to try and look at it with fresh eyes. Don't bring your preconceived ideas, but look at it fresh and see what it actually says. As we, as we look at the story of these shepherds who were awed by the arrival of Jesus, 
Just think about what it says here. It says in verse 8, in the same region, that means uh, in the same region where Joseph and Mary had the baby, the region of Bethlehem, it says that at the beginning of Luke 2, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. You know, something interesting to remember as we look at the story is that for the shepherds, they didn't know it was Christmas, right? They weren't thinking about the fact that angels were about to arrive. They weren't preparing themselves. This was a night like hundreds and thousands of other nights that had come before it. It was just a regular night of watching sheep and doing their job like they'd done day in and day out prior to this time. It says in the region that there were shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. And the fact that it was at night is important. That's not like a minute detail. It's something significant. Because God was trying to catch their attention and he was also trying to say something profound about what it means that Jesus came. It says these shepherds were watching over their flocks by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Yeah, Yeah, no duh, they were filled with great fear, right? In in the Old Testament, there were many times where angels would come, not coming with messages of peace and joy on earth that will be to all people. There were many times where angels came as ambassadors declaring a message of God's judgment. So when when an angel shows up, you don't go, hey, this could be good. You, You sometimes look at it and go, hey, maybe we're about to die, right? The angel comes. And he declares a message of joy to these cowering shepherds who were awed and amazed, but they're terrified by the arrival of this messenger. I don't know if you've ever had a situation or a circumstance in your life that's left you shaken. You hear people talk about that where they go, oh, I was shaken. You know, this thing happened and my heart was beating fast and my hands got sweaty and I was kind of disoriented. When's the last time you remember being shaken? I actually remember a a thing that happened to me at Christmas time. A few years ago, we were in Arizona with my family, most of my family lives in Phoenix. And we were in Arizona and we'd driven out to Tempe to have some pizza and we were driving back to Glendale, which is where my mom lives. And we're on the 101 loop that runs around the outside of Phoenix. We're driving, it's like 10 o'clock at night. There's barely any cars on the freeway. We're driving home, we're just ready to go to bed. It was Christmas season, so there's Christmas music on the radio, you know. And as we're going, all of a sudden, uh, there is a blinding light. A blind, and I don't just mean like the blinding light of oncoming headlights. I mean there is a blinding light that surrounds my car on all four sides. It's coming in every window. And my first thought as I'm driving down the freeway and there's all of a sudden this blinding light, my first thought is, I'm being abducted by aliens, right? That I thought, okay, well, I'm... I've seen enough X-Files episodes to know that what's happening next is that the aliens are going to whisk me out of my car, and I'm going to have some tests run on me. It'll probably be a little bit of probing, and at the end, uh, the aliens will determine that I'm the fittest of my species, and they will, uh, they'll say I'm an excellent specimen of mankind, and then they'll return me to my car, and I'll probably have some, you know, stress later on, whatever. So that was my first thought, but I didn't get whisked out of the car. Uh, my second thought, and I, I say this to my shame because as a pastor, you kind of wish this would have been my first thought, not aliens. My second thought was maybe I'm being visited by an angel, right? Like maybe there's an angelic visitor coming to speak to me in my car on the freeway at 10 o'clock at night. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for a message, I, but I didn't get a message. I didn't see a being of any kind. There was nothing. I didn't hear a voice. The light came, it was blinding, my whole family saw it, and then it was gone. And so we were all kind of freaked out. My heart's beating fast, I'm kind of, just kind of like weirded out, you know, if you've ever had that happen. 
So I get home to my mom's house and I get on the computer and I start doing the Google thing. I'm trying to see, did anybody else see this bright light in the sky? Because I thought maybe it was like a, a meteor or maybe there's some kind of an airplane thing or some kind of anomaly in the sky, but nobody said anything about it. I'm like, we're the only ones who saw this. And I was, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I was actually really bothered by it at the time. And we didn't, we didn't have any indication of what that was. We had no clue about it for about, well, it was several months before we finally figured it out. About two months later in February, I get a letter in the mail from the uh, Arizona Department of Motor Vehicles. And uh, they send me this letter, and inside on the front page, there are four really excellent photographs of me and my family in our car driving over the speed limit, right? And it turns out that in Phoenix, they've got these photo uh, cameras that if you're going over the speed, and here's the thing, before you judge me, I can see you judging me, uh, there, there weren't very many cars on the road. The only people's lives that were endangering were my own kids, and they're mine, so what, you know, it's fine. But there are these pictures of us taken, and, and we realized that the bright light we saw was the lights of the camera. So there's a picture of me. It would have, in hindsight, it would have made a really good Christmas card if I would have just had it sooner than February. But there's a picture of me driving like this with a, you know, the lights in my eyes and my wife sort of cowering. And they took these images and they sent those to us, which would have been nice if it wasn't accompanied by a bill for $300, or as they like to say in Arizona, a traffic ticket. Not my favorite, right? We were awed at first by the bright light. We were not so awed by the ticket, right? That was really troubling and bothersome. But I remember very well the feeling of being disoriented and afraid. That's what the shepherd's feeling here. This is a dark night, and the text tells us that on purpose, that the shepherds were watching their sheep by night. Listen, the Lord Jesus could have come at any time, The angelic messenger could have come at any time. He didn't come during the day on purpose. God sent him at night so that there would be a contrast. There's a message that's being declared here. He wants the bright light of the glory of God that shines around the angelic messenger to stand in stark relief and contrast to the darkness of the night. There is no electric light, there are no street lights, there are no flashlights, there's no headlamp. The only light these shepherds would have had may have been from a fire or from the stars above, and that's it. It would have been dark. And into that dark space, into that dark place, the light of the glory of God shining around this angelic messenger breaks in. Can you imagine even what that might be like? Imagine being a shepherd and sitting on a dark hillside. Imagine, let's just turn down the lights for a second. Let's make it a little bit dark. It's dark, right? It's a dark hillside, dark, starry evening. Maybe some of you, anybody capable of making sheep noises? Do that. Can you do it? Yeah, there's a, good. This is what it felt like. And then out of nowhere, bright light, right? Bright light. Okay, turn it off, right? These are, uh, these are lights we bought from like a disco company, I think. So after Christmas, we're going to have a sweet dance-off right here in the church. Uh, it's kind of jarring, you know, it leaves a little image on your, on your eyes. The guys in the sound booth were telling me that after the 1130 service, they kind of saw stars for a little while. You may be seeing that image for a little while of the lights behind me. But the light comes into the darkness on purpose. Why? Because long before this event, the prophet Isaiah had spoken about the light breaking into the darkness. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And talking about the arrival of Jesus. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago in John 1. John 1, 4, and 5 says, In him, and that's Jesus again, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I want you to see that the shepherds are met by this angelic messenger in the dark so that the light would be all the more stark in relief. What's God trying to say? That he reaches into the darkness, that those of us dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light. The light is not the light of an angelic messenger, but the light of Jesus himself. You see, there's a darkness that we see in our world. If you've watched the news, if you read the newspaper, if you interact with other human beings, you know that there's this sort of pervasive darkness, a sorrow and a sadness. Our world is overrun with greed and hatred and bigotry and frustration and anger. And we feel that darkness and into that darkness that can sometimes threaten to be overwhelming. God says, I see you in your darkness and I will meet you there. I'll break into that darkness and I'll shine my light into the dark place where you think nobody else can see you. That's the message he's declaring here. That God reaches out to us in our darkness, in our brokenness. Each and every one of us lost and dead in sin. As dark as we can be. And yet the Lord Jesus loves us there. He shines a light into that dark place. I love what Jesus himself says in, uh, in Luke, let's see, in Luke 19, right? Luke 19, 10, where Jesus himself says, the son of man, speaking about himself, the son of man comes to seek and to save the lost. That he cares about us. That he sees us in the despair we sometimes feel. That he sees us in our brokenness and our hurt. Now the shepherds are watching their flock by night when the angel arrives so that they will have the image of the glory of God, right? When it talks about the glory of God shining around this angelic messenger, in the Old Testament when we see the glory of God on display, sometimes it makes a guy like Moses' face glow for days afterwards. That's how bright it is. Now the angel shows up and the shepherds are afraid. God is making a statement about light in the dark. And it's important for us to recognize that, because anytime God speaks, we want to be the kind of people who recognize it. The shepherds recognized how awesome this message was. I think sometimes we sort of miss the awesomeness of the message of Christmas, because we're sort of calloused by it, because we've heard it a hundred times, because we've sung all these Christmas songs, because we know the Christmas text, because we kind of know the way the church thing works. On December 24th, December 25th, we're gonna talk about shepherds, we're gonna talk about angels, we'll talk about Joseph and Mary and the baby. Yeah, 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 let's get on to it. We got a ham cooking or whatever, right? Can I tell you, we don't wanna become calloused to the breaking in of God into our darkness. We don't wanna become calloused to the awesomeness of this message, the shepherds certainly realized it. Back to Luke 2, it says they were terrified. And in verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He says, I'm not here to kill you. I'm not here to pass judgment. In fact, I've come to bring you a message of great joy that isn't just for you. It's not just for shepherds. It's for everybody, right? Good news or the gospel. I've come to declare it to you. He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. And when he says born this day in the city of David, that's meant to be a a mark, an indicator, a, a flashing sign pointing to the prophecies about the Messiah that said the Messiah would be born in the city of David. So when the angel looks at the shepherds and says, unto you is born today in the city of David, there's meant to be sort of an alarm going off in their heads that go, we know who we're waiting for that would be born in the city of David. He says, unto you is born in the city of David a savior. Well, why is the idea, the announcement of a savior awesome unless the people are desperately in need of saving? 
desperately in need of saving. And you and I, just like the shepherds, apart from the coming of Christ, apart from him taking our sin upon himself and dying in our place, apart from him extending by his grace and his grace alone resurrection life to those who believe, we would be dead in our sins still, cut off from God. So when he looks at them and says, I bring you good news of great joy for everybody, today in the city of David is born unto you a savior, that word actually means something. Because mankind desperately needed to be saved from sin and death. He says, today in the city of David, a savior who is Christ, the Messiah, the one that was foretold, not just Christ, but Christ the Lord, the king, the master, the ultimate ruler of all things, the one who created it all and sustains it all. He says, I brought you good news of great joy that the one you've been waiting for was born in the city of David, a savior, Christ the Lord. And he says, and this will be a sign to you. Back to the text in Luke chapter two. He says in verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. He's just declared the greatest message mankind's ever heard, right? The bright light, the shepherds cower in fear. He gets them up, he says, don't be afraid. I brought you good news. And here's the sign. The sign that a savior has been born in the city of David, Christ the Lord. Here's the sign. And you might expect it to be something spectacular, right? The sign is the first ever fireworks display over Bethlehem, right? Or the sign is the star that has traveled and rested over the house. Or the sign is the angelic army that's about to show up and declare glory to God in the highest. But none of those things are the sign. The angel says a savior has been born to you today and the sign, look at what the sign is according to Luke 2. The sign of this incredible good news, the sign he says is a a baby wrapped up in cloth and lying in a food trough. Does that feel a little anticlimactic to you? Does it feel a little underwhelming? Like that's the sign? It's not, you know, like it's not some sort of a meteor shower or some kind of a spectacular light display. It's just... A baby wrapped in cloths. Why is that the sign? It's a good question. Why is that the sign? You see, I think for many of us, we start to think that the things that are the best and the greatest and the most wonderful are the ones that come with the most spectacle. But that's not how God thinks. God isn't looking for spectacle. He's not looking for incredible sort of uh, display exteriorly. What God is interested in is the core of what's happening. What we see is God, the God of the universe, coming down in the flesh it says in Philippians 2 that even though he was God, he did, not consider, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or clung to, but instead he made himself nothing. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the sign of God becoming a human is just, well, you'll go to a stable and you'll find a food trough and there'll be a baby wrapped in cloth there. You know, by the way, why we swaddle babies? Because they get cold otherwise. It's not super fancy, But it's actually really meaningful and beautiful that the creator of the universe shows up on the scene, light into the darkness, and he truly is a baby. The very same kind of baby that some of you have in this room today that needs to be wrapped up and held, that wants to be comforted by the feeling of swaddling cloth around him. It's just a baby. God in human form. This is the sign. The God of the universe come in the flesh. And the The shepherds recognize it for what it is. I wonder if we always recognize the awesomeness of God, the awesomeness of the incarnation. I wonder if it makes us feel 
odd because I think sometimes we have a tendency to sort of tune it out. We just become used to it. You know, I, I hear stories about people, um, I hear stories, I actually, I don't know about this personally, but I hear stories about people who, uh, guys sometimes, who will like start playing video games and things and they get so focused on their video games that their wife might be speaking to them and they don't, uh, they don't actually hear what she's saying. She might be asking them questions or asking them to do certain things and they just don't, I mean, I, again, like I said, I, I have not experienced this myself, but I'm told that there are people who get so focused on video games sometimes, like for instance, Say like on the Saturday before Christmas Eve, they might have a new uh, golf game on the PlayStation that they want to try out and they might turn it on and they might be playing and their wife might be talking in the background, but they, they know she's talking, but they don't think she's talking to them, theoretically. And, uh, and then after a little while, their wife will come over and get right in their face and say, are you even paying attention to me? And I'll say, I mean, he'll say, uh, he'll, he'll say this, this friend of mine that this happened to will say, I didn't hear what you said, but I did shoot 11 under on nine holes, which is pretty awesome, right? And this guy's wife will not be impressed with that score. I don't know why, right? It's not that I don't love my wife's voice. It's not that I'm not interested in what she has to say, but there is a thing that can happen to all of us where even the most important voices become white noise if we don't sit up and pay attention. If we don't actively focus on the voice of God, it will become routine to us. Church actually can work in a, in a bad way for us. Because maybe you come here week after week after week and you listen to God's word read, we sing his praises, you hear his spirit speak to you, and then you walk out of here like nothing ever was spoken. And you've learned over time, we've learned over time to tune him out. Do not tune out the awesome message of the incarnation. The shepherds are awed by it, so much so that not only do they recognize it for what it is, but they respond to it. Back to Luke chapter 2, it says in verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, right? An angelic army shouting the praises of God. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I want you to note a couple things here. First thing I want you to note is that what they say is, let's go and see this thing that has happened. The shepherds don't say, hey, let's go and see if the angels know what they're talking about. They don't say, hey, let's go into Bethlehem and explore and see if we can spot anything out of the ordinary. They go, let's go and see the thing they told us about that has occurred. We see a demonstration of faith on the part of the shepherds. They recognize that it's God's message. They recognize the awesomeness of it. And then they respond with action. They say, let's go and see the thing that occurred. I think a lot of times this is a piece that we miss. You may be the kind of person here this morning who understands the awesome nature of the incarnation of Christ, but it has not moved you at all. You understand it intellectually, you believe it, but you haven't been moved by it. But I would suggest this morning that that which we find awesome always moves us. It moves us. Think about the, uh, think about the SpaceX launch on Friday, right? Did you see that in the sky? Did you see that rocket launch on Friday? Did you think it was North Korea getting their revenge? Is that what you thought, right? I read an article that said there were people all over the freeways of LA pulling over and saying their prayers because they thought we were goners, right? People who thought it was a, a UFO invasion, people who thought it was a missile strike. When you see something that you are awed by, it produces in you a response. 
So what is the response that is produced in the lives of those who are awed by the coming of Christ? That's a question we have to ask ourselves today. Because what you find awesome, what you find awesome will move you. What you were awed by will move you. So you can say I'm awed by the coming of Jesus, but how has it moved you? You know, when the kids came in today, we, uh, we asked them to, to write something that was awesome. We've gotten all kinds of cool responses today. I'm hoping that some of the kids who are here today have had time to write something out. I'm gonna invite the band to come back out on stage and we're gonna, we're gonna worship. I want you to think about what it means to respond to the awesomeness of the message of Christmas. And as the band plays, if you're a kid here and you've, and you've drawn a picture of something you think is awesome, then as the band plays, I'm gonna invite you to come up and we're gonna, we're gonna pin up your angels on the, on the wall up here. We got space still. So as the band plays, I invite the rest of your kids, if you've got a picture, an angel, one of these, then bring it up and we're gonna put it up here and take a look at what you've done, okay? Let's, uh, let's continue to worship together. Well, I hope that after the service you'll have a chance to come and see some of this incredible artwork because... There's some incredible things that we think are awesome. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, everything ranging from, there's lots of donuts, which I suppose is just me having a positive impact on your children. Uh, but there's all kinds of stuff up here. We got soccer balls, and we got people's homes and their families, and we got, there's some toys up here. I saw a unicorn. Here's a Dodgers logo. I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, there's one kid, I don't know if it's still here, in the last service, it says on the bottom, draw something awesome, and one kid in the last service wrote, oh yeah, it's right here, he just wrote something awesome. <laughs> that's, that's a naughty kid right there, that's what that is. Uh, all kinds of cool stuff here, right? All kinds of things that we think are awesome that move us, and the key for us is to recognize what is awesome, truly awesome, and to respond to it. You know, you may be the kind of person who's here today because this is what you're supposed to do on Christmas, right? You're supposed to come to a church service, and I'm glad you're here. I'm not saying that isn't a great idea, but it's possible to come to a, a, a church service or a celebration, a worship service, and not have ever surrendered your life to Jesus, ever really responded to the message of his grace and his hope. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, if you're here today and you're still in the darkness, the great news for you is that a great light has shone, right? A great light has shined into our lives, and you have the opportunity to respond to that. I would encourage you to trust in Christ, to not only be awed by the fact that God would come to the earth, but then to be transformed by that truth. There's one last response, though, that we see in the Luke 2 passage that I don't want you to miss before we go. In Luke chapter 2, it's really interesting. Look at what it says in verse 16. It says, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. There's, there's one, one phrase in this I really don't want you to miss, and I think it's one that's easy to miss. In verse 20, it says that after the shepherds had gone with haste to see the things the angels had declared, they'd seen the Christ child in the flesh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, they'd had a conversation with the baby's mother. Then what? In verse 20, it says, then they returned. They returned where? Well, they returned to the fields. 
they went back to shepherding, right? They went back to the same old thing. I think sometimes we think that when we are awed by the glory of who Christ is and the glory of the light that comes into the darkness, that when we're awed by it, when we respond to it, that our life will completely and absolutely change in a sort of visible way, that afterwards the shepherds would go up, we heard these angels, we went and saw the baby, and so we can't be shepherds anymore. We gotta do something else. We're gonna write books, maybe go on the the speaking circuit, you know, we may uh, take this show on the road, we might create some sort of a dramatic representation, we can put on a theater, you know, whatever. We kind of think that after this sort of spectacular moment, that going back to to the fields to watch over sheep would be something too insignificant for them. But I want you to see that after God met them, and after he declared this message, that's exactly where they went back to. And the message to us is this. These shepherds went back to their fields but they didn't go back the same. They went back to their shepherding jobs, but now their shepherding jobs were illuminated in a new way by the light of Christ. The regular thing they'd done hundreds of nights before, day in and day out, the shepherding that they knew inside and out was now illuminated by the light of Christ. You see, there is not only a call for us to recognize and to respond, but to reflect that light, to reflect that light. And the shepherds go back to their fields, but they're praising God and glorifying him and responding to what they've seen. It doesn't matter if you're a shepherd or a school teacher or a stay-at-home dad or a military service member. It doesn't matter what you do or where you come from or who you are or where you've been. You have the opportunity to live a life that is illuminated by the life of Christ. Illuminated by the life of Christ. In fact, I'll say this. I I don't know how often God is sending an angelic army to declare messages like this anymore. I, I don't know how often he does it. I hear stories occasionally of God's, you know, meeting somebody with an angel. We see in the Bible that angels sometimes come, uh, you know, among us unaware. I don't know how often he's sending angels as ambassadors, but I, can I tell you what's almost as shocking or maybe even more shocking than an angelic army declaring a message? It's when a regular human being like you and me, in the regular routines of our life, Our routines at the gas station and at the grocery store and in our jobs and in our neighborhoods, in the routine, regular occasion of our life, when we reflect the light of Christ, when we, empowered by the Spirit, live lives of love and generosity, united in sacrifice, when we live like Christ for the glory of God, that is almost more shocking in the darkness of this world than an angelic messenger would be. You guys know this. You guys know that right now our world is so wrapped up in itself. There is so much selfishness and greed. There is so much deception. There is so much hatred and fighting and wars and whatever. There's a lot of darkness. And when you and I respond to the light of Christ by reflecting that light on the hillside we've been called, right? Our regular shepherding gigs. When we live a life illuminated by the light of Christ, we become the reflection of Christ's light to the dark world in which we find ourselves. It says that when people heard the story that the shepherds declared, they marveled, that they wondered at the story. Why? By looking at the shepherds and seeing Christ. I think that a a Christian life lived in generosity and kindness and sacrifice and hope, all of those things are so different than what we see as the norm in our world today, that when we live like Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, when we live like Jesus, we stand out like an angel in the sky.
We stand out like an angel. Light in the darkness. Not a light that emanates from us, but a light that's reflected off of us, that emanates from Christ and bounces off of us into the lives of our neighbors. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. What that means is that the very same God who said, let there be light in the midst of creation has shined a light into us that is the glory of God in the face of Christ. That shines into us and then we become repeaters of that light. I love what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And I think sometimes we read that and we go, yeah, that's right. I am a royal priesthood. I am a chosen people. I am a holy nation. Yeah, look at all this stuff. Look at who I am. But that's not the point. The point isn't just to sort of, just sort of revel in who you are. All of those things are who you are as a follower of Christ for a reason. What 1 Peter 2.9 says is, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim. The, the idea here is you are all these things so that you will declare, and here's what it says, You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? That's what we've been called for. That's why we're a chosen people. That's why we're a holy race, a holy nation chosen by God, his precious possession, that we would proclaim, that we would declare, that we would reflect the light in the darkness You guys don't need me to tell you there's plenty of darkness in the world in which we live. I'm reminded of the shepherds on that hillside, right? The shepherds on that hillside with just the starlight and then all of a sudden the glory of the Lord shone about them and they were forever changed. They recognized it for what it was. They responded to it in faith and obedience and then they reflected it as they went back to the place they were called. That's the call for us as well. You know, I look at all these angels on the wall And there's a lot of awesome stuff up here. But what's really awesome in these pictures is not the stuff the children have drawn, but the names. The names. There are names on each one of these, the kids that drew them. Jacob and Phoebe and Billy and Michael and Braden. There are all of these names, and each one of these names represents the potential for God to shine a light into the darkness. And there are all of these names in this place. And all of us represent an opportunity, a potentiality for God to reflect his light into the darkness in which we've been placed. This Christmas, let's stand in awe of the incarnation. Let's respond with faith and action. And let's reflect that awesome story in the darkness to which we find ourselves. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that you would move in all of us to not simply hear the story of Christmas and go back to life as normal, to not simply reflect upon or understand the incarnation and then just go back to business as usual, but rather, God, that 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 incredible story of God entering into the darkness to rescue us from sin and death, that it would provoke a response in us, a response of worship and obedience, and that then you would use us as a reflection, ambassadors that stand in stark relief to the darkness around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.